You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Evergen, providing cutting-edge energy management software for battery optimisation, virtual power plants and distributed energy resources. And Pylon, helping solar installers and retailers design high-resolution solar proposals in minutes. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy, along with its associated websites, One Step Off the Grid and the EV Focus, The Driven. And joining me as usual is co-host David Leach from ITK. David, I trust you are well. Giles, I'm well. I trust our our listeners are well and I trust our special guest for today, uh, a very distinguished uh, uh, guest, is also well. Well, I hope so too. I'd very much like to welcome the Federal Climate and Energy Minister, Chris Bowen. Chris, welcome back to the Energy Insiders podcast. G'day, Giles. G'day, David. Thanks. Yes, I'm uh, pretty well, thanks. Fine and fit. That's good. Now, is it um, climate and energy or energy and climate? Which one comes first? Uh, Climate change and energy. Well, it's interesting because over the last week or so, we've had, I think, four days, consecutive days of record daily temperatures for the planet, um, the hottest week on record. We scientists seem to be saying we're either heading for the hottest month or the hottest years. Is now the time that we should be thinking seriously about having a policy that reflects a 1.5 degree target? Well, it's certainly um, a spur to keep going, which is what we're doing. Um, and I know we'll get to the ambition of our various targets. Um, but, you know, there are some who say, you know, we are doing too much and we should pause. Uh, that gets said in federal parliament a lot by the alternative government that there's too much happening on climate change. They uh, spread the fallacy that renewable energy is uh, what's putting up with pressure on power prices. They're opposing the necessary transformations in our grid. Uh, we have a different view. But I would say this, you know, we're now seven years to 2030, which is not long. We only started in 2022. So the best time to start would have been you know, 10 to 15 to 20 years ago, of course, when the science was clear, uh, climate change is no longer a forecast or a prediction. It is now a lived reality, but we're playing catch up very, very, very fast. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned that sort of opposition and the, the um, thing. Is, is that the reason why we can't go um, faster and harder? I mean, you've actually said, that, I think, on several occasions that, um, you know, um, 1.5 degrees is the goal. If it's not 1.5, why are we here? Yeah. Um, so, so, so why can't we have it? Is there just resistance within your own party? No, is it no, resistance no, no, the... no, not, no, on the contrary. No, um, no, and the opposition doesn't, I mean, we get, a, we get around the opposition. You know, everything we've done has been with no opposition support. Uh, all the legislation that we passed through the parliament has not one piece has been supported by the opposition. They're not constructive in the slightest. So we've gotten on with it anyway. My point, though, is, Giles, you know, we are all we are going at a cracking pace. I mean, 43 percent, you might argue and some might argue it needs to be higher, but 43 is underpinned by the 82 percent renewable energy target, which I know we'll get to, but it is ambitious. Uh, up from around 35 from where we are today. It's very achievable, but it's ambitious. But, you know, um, if people want to argue that we should be doing more, they have to point to what exactly they would do that we are not already doing with the massive rollout of uh, renewables, with the transportation plans that we I know we can talk about, with the industry plans, a 5% emissions reduction each and every year required from our 215 biggest emitters putting uh, emissions reduction in the national energy objectives and gas objectives for the first time. All this so much more are things that we've done in the in the last uh, 15 months or so. Yes, we need to keep going and where we can, um, of course, things should be done as quickly as prudently and possible. But 
you know, this is the catch-up that we're playing. Ideally, if we'd had three or six or nine years longer to get it done, yes, of course, you can do different things. But starting from where we are in 2022, uh, it, things are going at a very rapid pace. Yeah. Let's get to that 82% renewable target. I mean, you describe it as a target. So, I, mean, I think it originally was the sort of the modelling outcome from the AEMO um, integrated system plan. You said 82%. Yeah, let's go for that. There's been a bit of pushback recently um, and also sort of warnings that we might not be able to get there because there's so much to be done, transmission, building new wind and solar, getting everything in place. Would it help? A lot of people have suggested that maybe this should be a formalised target or maybe we should actually formalise a mechanism in the same way we had the RET target to 2020. Um, I'm just wondering if you can, um, have you been yep. thinking about that, e either of those options, making it a formal target, a legislated target or creating a mechanism that actually requires industry to get there? Well, it is a formal target. It's government policy. It's not legislated, but it's a formal government policy. One gentle sort of uh, uh, disagreement is it didn't come out of the EMO plan. It came out of power in Australia. So we we uh, worked out the impact of rewiring the nation and other policies, and it showed 82%. Now, of course, it was very similar to what AEMO uh, had, which gave us some comfort that we're on the right track, right? But they're actually separate processes, which led to the same result, but it is official government policy. And in terms of how we're doing it, there's a range of things. There's rewiring the nation, you know, there's no transition without transmission. We all know that, so that's very important. We're getting on with that as fast as we can. Uh, we've got the capacity investment mechanism, which will unleash a lot. Um, you know, it'll, it'll unleash um, uh, $10 billion of investment based on our uh, calculations or six gigawatts across the grid. That isn't enough to get 82, but it's a very big contribution. And the fact all the um, big renewable energy investors from around the world, I meet with all the chief executives either when they're visiting here or when I'm in their countries, say to me, the fact that you've legislated the 43 and you've got 82 as a very clear target as government policy gives us the certainty to invest in your country. So a number of them have said to me that they now regard Australia as their key market, the key market for renewable energy investment. So is 82 ambitious? Yes, it is. It is very ambitious. Is it achievable? Absolutely. I know there's, you know, it's fashionable at the moment to say it's not achievable. I do not accept that. We've got the capital, we've got the policy, we've got the technology, we've got the pipeline. I want to see more of that pipeline moving to final investment decision uh, and then, you know, envir environmental approvals are rolling out. And yes, you know, there's always something to do in those areas, but it is very achievable. It has to be achievable because we are no no chance of meeting um, our obligation uh, and the targets we've set unless we get cracking on that job. But it is very achievable. But I do accept it's ambitious. The people who said originally saying, oh, 43 is not ambitious enough, now it's fashion to say 82 and 43 is too ambitious. I reject both of those. It's ambitious but achievable. So, it's a, uh, Chris, it's a, it's a it's a it's a target, but not a policy because because there isn't any. I mean, there's the money that goes uh, to support transmission, which I'd like to talk about. Uh, but you know, for renewable energy developers, there's actually no new policy per se. There's the capacity investment scheme, which, which is, is a new is for, policy, David. Yes, yes, it is. But I'm talking about for the wind and the solar, the primary policy. Well, capacity um, investment um, primary policy. Sorry. Capacity investment mechanisms for renewable energy. So I, I don't think that's right. What you just said with respect. 
Yeah, no, that's fair enough. But in terms of uh, wind and solar, we're relying on the um, renewable energy certificates, which of course have a, a life that ends in 2030 and haven't been extended and had a concept of 20% renewable energy when we're talking about 80%. I, I mean, I, 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 and I guess um, if I just forget about what I just said and just looked at the 80% target, which requires, I think, something like another 20 gigawatts, and even that allows, requires the behind the meter side of things to do a lot, and there's no new policy there, nothing for household batteries. And I'm not meaning to be critical because you have done a lot, the federal government, it's, it, it's, it, there is a lot going on, but I'm, I just care about achieving the target. And, and uh, on the transmission side, there's, there's the social licence, right? There's plenty of money around for transmission, I think, myself, but the social licence thing is a big deal. In Europe, we've got this policy that now, that, um, you know, where the federal government, well, the European government, sorry, the EC, uh, can can kind of require countries to um, accelerate approval for projects, uh, whether it be transmission, I guess, or particularly in renewable energy zones for individual wind farms. But in Australia, the whole planning process still seems to be very bound up in the past and very state-oriented and, uh, you know, doesn't seem to be much progress at getting through that, that quagmire. Yeah, so I'm more than happy to talk about planning. Let me just deal with a couple of the broader issues, though. So the capacity investment mechanism, which I'm more than happy to talk about in detail. As you know, I've launched the first auction with Penny Sharp in New South Wales. That's on a very fast time frame. I mean, uh, that's on a September-October time frame. So that's pretty quick from July. Um, that's, a, that's, in effect, a gigawatt in total, uh, uh, with what we've added to what New South Wales was already doing. So they were doing 380 megawatts, we've added 550. So that's a big deal in New South Wales. And I'll be doing the South Australian and Victorian auctions soon in conjunction in consultation with the states, obviously, and then we'll roll out a national scheme uh, next year and there'll be consultation about some elements of that in coming weeks. So capacity investment mechanism is actually a big policy for wind and solar. It has to be dispatchable. Uh, so it's got to be storage attached to it, but it is uh, a very big policy intervention to encourage dispatchable renewables. On um, behind the meter, you you uh, said there was no policy. Uh, with respect, we've got the $1.7 billion uh, household saving and electrification uh, plan, which is for energy efficiency and renewables uh, for households, businesses and local government, uh, including $300 million for social housing, public and community housing, a billion dollars in low interest loans for the CFC through households, a two household for investments they might choose to make. So there is a policy piece there. Um, and rewiring the nation, we've got deals away with New South Wales, Victoria and Tasmania and you know further discussions ongoing with the other jurisdictions. But uh, in relation to planning, yes, it is a legitimate issue. Now, um, uh, Tanya has array, an array of planning um, reviews underway and dealing with renewables is important to her and important to me. Of course, it, it should go without saying, I'll say it anyway, everything including renewable energy has to meet planning criteria. No, you know, nobody sensible suggests that they shouldn't. You know, as, as I'm, I'm more passionate than anybody about renewable energy, but I certainly acknowledge and agree that there are certain places where it should go and certain places where it shouldn't go. And that's what the planning system is all for. But getting to know earlier uh, and getting to yes earlier is important. Um, Tanya's side of our department is developing 
tailored best practice guidelines for this renewable sector. She's in discussions with the states. Um, uh, she's they're supporting around 90 renewable energy projects under assessment at the moment and trying to agree uh, new timeframes and quick timeframes for their approvals. Um, the matter of consideration of renewable energy zones is a legitimate one. That's not the answer for everything because not every state has renewable energy zones, of course, but where they do have them, looking at that in a that planning in a more holistic way, I think is a legitimate conversation for the Commonwealth and the states to have and that conversation is ongoing. So, yes, planning is part of it. Um, and so it's connection approval times with the AEMO and all, all the above. But my point is, and you know, I lean in and, and try and uh, help with all that because we do need to get on with it. Ultimately, um, you know, companies need to be investing and there's lots of good investment happening in renewable energy. I, I, you know, I always welcome more. I say to chief executives, good plans, now triple them. I say to the big Australian energy guys, okay, if you don't think we're on on track to meet our targets and all investment is welcome, let's get on with it. Um, the policy framework is there, the certainty is there, the capital is there, the technology is there. Now we're just getting on with it. So I'll just ask one more question and then hand back to Giles. And just observing that, you know, um, I suppose not a lot has actually hit financial investment uh, closure this calendar year for various reasons. But I, I didn't want to ask about the capacity investment scheme because, again, it seems to me that, you know, the, the um, federal government works indirectly to in an extent by leaning in to support the states. And, you know, like up in, say, take it in Queensland if you wanted to develop a battery or, or, or pumped hydro project that wasn't a Queensland government one, will the scheme actually um, offer uh, any ability for the individual developer to, to go through the scheme directly? And how will it be financed by a budget allocation? Or could you just talk a little bit more about it? No, no. no. So to be clear, David, it's a federal government scheme. Yes, of course, I consult with the state ministers about how it's going to work in their state, but it is a federal government scheme. It is not indirectly through the states. It is a federal government auction. In New South Wales, I've chosen to do it alongside the Altessa because that makes sense because they have a well-developed, well-understood system. So it would be silly to have it on a different time frame. So that's what I announced with Penny Sharp uh, a week or so ago. Um, but in other states, uh, we will be running our own auctions. Um, I'm not going to talk about impact on the budget because that would give away um, the you know too much to the auction process. Um, but for any dispatchable renewable, um, to your question about a you know a battery in Queensland, of course they can apply when we come to do the Queensland auction. Absolutely, they'll be able to apply for that um, support through the capacity investment mechanism. It'll be the federal government who decides um, because it's us underwriting the risk. Um, us that auction will be run by my department um, and so it's a direct federal government program of course um, there's goodwill and good spirit around the, the energy uh, minister's table so I talk to the states about it but it is a commonwealth program um, look we might actually just take a brief uh, pause for um, a um, for a message we'll be back in a moment powered by all energy australia the New South Wales Clean Energy event, Energy Next, returns to the International Convention Centre in Darling Harbour on July 18 and 19. This free-to-attend exhibition and conference is a must for industry suppliers and experts and those involved in the renewable energy and energy storage sectors. Featuring leading international and national brands such as Schneider Electric, Investment New South Wales, 5B and more, you can't afford to miss this free event. Register now for Energy Next 2023, July 18 and 19 at the International Convention Centre, Darling Harbour, Sydney. 
Um, yeah, look, just back with um, Federal Energy and Climate Minister, or Climate and Energy Minister, Chris Bowen. Um, just a bit more about the capacity investment mechanism. Um, Chris, in New South Wales, as you mentioned, 380 megawatts, it was originally sort of two hours of firming uh, capacity and sort of everyone, as you, well, we assumed that that would probably be a battery or a um, demand management, which is invited into the scheme in the first place. With the expanded, it's almost a gigawatt, as you say, does that mean it will just still be within that two hour parameter or is it now sort of broader and could, does that, does that capacity now include wind and solar plus, you know, firmed wind and solar or is it very much directed towards the, the issue that the, I think AEMO has, has identified just having that sort of short-term firm capacity? Yeah, so in New South Wales, um, uh, it is two hours minimum uh, and anything uh, which is firm renewables, uh, dispatchable renewables, so renewables plus storage. So I, we're, I've deliberately kept it flexible to see what the auction throws up um, and what comes out of the New South Wales Altessa and what they haven't been able to fund through their 380 megawatt program. Um, so to try and keep that flexibility uh, to see, okay, may the best bid win now. Uh, if you meet that minimum, minimum criteria of, of at least two hours, uh, then make it stack up and then the next best 550 megawatts to get to that very close to a gigawatt uh, will get through. Now, uh, I don't want to preempt announcements I'll make for Victoria or, and South Australia, but they'll be catered to their particular needs and it you know, may be a little bit more specific, um, but you know, I'll make those announcements those announcements uh, in the next little while, uh, but you know there's been an enormous amount of work go into making the capacity investment mechanism work. As you know, it's been talked about for many years. Previous government had several attempts that kept falling over. We've nailed the model. Um, it does provide some flexibility um, in terms of you know dealing with each jurisdiction's needs. Uh, and um, as I said, there'll be a, there has been consultation with key uh, industry groups. There'll be some more formal consultation over the next few weeks with a consultation paper uh, going out in about a fortnight to uh, groups about what the national rollout looks like next year. In the meantime, uh, New South Wales already well underway and Victoria and South Australia jointly underway quite soon. So what sort of um, terms of sort of gigawatts are we sort of talking about in, say, target next year? Because we, we do need that storage um, to, mm. to allow those coal-fired power stations to to, to close as, as, as advertised. So six gigawatts over the entire scheme. Um, so, yeah, that's, yes, that's not 20, but I'd say it's six gigawatts that weren't being encouraged onto the, onto the grid. Uh, before we announced this and before we got un underway with it. So, um, so it's what, when you consider, yeah, so, you know, oh, sorry to interrupt you. I'm just wondering what sort of scheme are you sort of um, thinking about? Is this like an auction? So you're getting sort of grants or you're getting like a, um, a, a strike price, some sort of um, contract for difference, or is it like a production credit or is it a capacity a payment to be available at a particular time and day? Um, or is it or is that yet to be decided? Yeah, so it'll be a, basically an underwriting of, of risk, um, basically, Again, I don't want to go into you know uh, too much detail because it might. I want auctions. I want bidders to have very sharp pencils um, and put their best bid forward uh, to the Commonwealth. But it'll basically saying what do you? What's the minimum guarantee that you need um, to to uh, get this project new project underway? It's got to be dispatchable. Got to be renewable. Um, you've got to get it underway. Uh, what's the the minimum um, sort of risk that you can wear? That uh, where the Commonwealth can can underwrite that risk for you. Um, what sort of return would the Commonwealth look at if things go very, very well, uh, and then put your best bid in? 
that's basically what it comes yeah. down to. And, and, and what are you thinking? To, one last question before handing back to Dave. Um, just some coal-fired power stations. Um, I guess the big one at the moment is Araring. It's the biggest coal generator mm. in the country, 2.8 gigawatts. Three years notice closed down in August 2025. Some pretty confusing messages coming out of the New South Wales um, government, both before and sort of since the election. Um, what's your reading of the situation there? Might we see an inevitable sort of, you know, keeping open of some units for another summer? Um, or yeah, you know, uh, and, and so to what extent are you involved in that? So obviously, uh, I'm aware of you know I'm, I'm involved in discussions with New South Wales. Nobody wants to see a coal-fired power station uh, remain open longer than it needs to, um, and I don't think anybody's talking about any um, delay of any you know uh, of years. Um, I think it's appropriate for New South Wales to say to Origin at this point, and you know potentially Brookfield down the road. Um, you know, let's talk. Let's just make sure that everything is in order uh, for that date. And if not, let's just keep a little bit of flexibility about that date. Um, but nobody has suggested to me that we need, you know, uh, a mechanism to keep a roaring open for anything other than or longer than at you know at most a relatively short period of time, and only then if it's necessary in terms of the grid. Um, I think that's prudent. That's the way. You know, Origin says they're looking at it. It's the way New South Wales is looking at it. I think that's prudent going forward. Um, August uh, 2025 uh, is the indicative date, um, but there is time just to make sure that everything's in order uh, to make sure that that is the right date. So uh, I would just observe that with um, the way the uh, coal price is fixed in New South Wales, it effectively may, and where electricity prices, and this is an observation, uh, Araring is very profitable uh, at the moment on my numbers and I think other financial analyst numbers. And, and so the incentive for it to close, which was there when a couple of years ago, isn't there at the moment. That's, that's an observation rather than uh, saying something. And what would change that, in my opinion, is if there was more supply on the grid in New South Wales. But unfortunately, there's not going to be much more supply on the grid in New South Wales for some years, as far as I can see. And, 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 and that's the issue. There may be more supply in Victoria or Queensland, but not in New South Wales. But I wanted to come back to the uh, Brookfield side of things and just ask a kind of cheeky question. That they need ACCC approval. And, and part of what I've understand is or sorry or federal government actually i don't actually know Curb, if it's ACCC Curb, approval. Curb and, ACCC, foreign and, and, and as part of that they've given some commitments about what they're going to do in renewable energy i think um do you think those fulfilling those conditions you know should be a condition of approval well i'm not going to cut across uh, my friend the treasurer's um uh, uh responsibilities with Ferb and ACCC um I'll just simply say that I welcome all investment in renewable energy and obviously a lot of that comes from overseas because we've always been a capital-hungry market and with this massive transformation underway, we are going to need that capital. Um, uh, I've met with Brookfield, I've met with Mark Carney. Um, it's all been you know, uh, very open and transparent, but ultimately the FERB will make a recommendation, the ACCC will, will do what they will do um and uh you know the the result will come out and brookfield understands that process very well um i welcome more investment but also they've they've got hurdles they need to jump and it's over to them to jump yep. them yep and I, I i i suppose it's a separate question for for the um cefc about how they're going to spend the money the 20 billion dollars that's been allocated to them which is a, a fantastic achievement but 
I wanted to come back just about the broader policy agenda. I see in Europe, for instance, again, and Europe's my poster boy, that they've got a 40%, um, 42.5% uh, target for renewables as a share of uh, final energy consumption or primary energy, it would be. In Australia, we're worse than the United States, 8% in 2021, which is the latest statistics in Australia. Uh, do you have a, a view of what that 8% should be by 2030? Sorry, I'm not or something sure I like follow that? you, David. What figures are you referring to? I'm referring to uh, renewable energy as a share of final energy, as a share of total production of coal, um, uh, gas, and oil. Uh, in in total uh, consumption of energy in Australia, oh. not like not just in electricity, oh, right, but right, I see. Share of primary energy, you know, which ultimately is what drives, of course, uh, carbon output. Yeah, look, eighty two percent is grid, so it's not just the NEM, it's the other grids, Norwegian, and Swiss, and etc. But it is grid across the system. That's what I'm focused on at the moment. I accept that. Yes, we have to be focused on the other things too. That's where the safeguard mechanism comes in the place. That's where um, uh, you know, rewiring the nation in some circumstances may assist, even though that's um, for the grid. Um, obviously, in Western Australia, there's you know there's various complexities uh, and big energy users in in the Pilbara, which uh, we've been looking at in terms of um, how those two policies interact. So, um, you, you're right to raise the issue, but no, the 82% doesn't apply uh, more broadly at this point. It's energy grid only, and that's a big enough task, frankly, that we are undertaking. It, it is. I just point out that we've got to get that eight percent up to twenty and thirty percent, and and so on. And 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 as the vehicles policy, can you um, emissions tail pipe emissions? Can you tell me where that's up to? Uh, at yeah. The so um, look, firstly, I'm pleased, but not yet satisfied with electric vehicle sales. So two percent when we came to office, nine percent now. So in a little over a year, that's not too bad. Um, obviously, uh, we have more to do. The big moving part there is fuel efficiency standards. We've committed to them. That's no small thing, frankly. You know, it's all been in a too hard basket for too long. Last time a federal government committed to them, it lasted three hours before Josh Frydenberg was overruled by his then Prime Minister. So um, uh, we are committed to them, but they are detailed. We've said that we would um, have the model out by the end of this year. I've read all the submissions. Um, they're all good. Uh, Catherine King and I are working through that. The detail is important. Um, I read all the submissions to our original National Electric Vehicle Strategy. There were hundreds of them. Most of them, if not you know, the vast majority of them, called for fuel efficiency standards. But to be fair, uh, very few of them went into any detail about what those fuel efficiency standards should look like. So therefore, we need a second round of consultation on the detailed design. Um, there's lots in those submissions uh, that have come into the government and uh, we'll have more to say in the not-too-distant future. But, you know, we are proceeding uh, with fuel efficiency standards and we're determined to get the model correct. And given that there's been a big increase in the EV uptake and there's been you know, some major developments in international markets, well, kind of, you know, it's sort of, it's nice to have this delay because it kind of makes a, um, a really tough fuel efficiency standard um, a fait accompli, wouldn't it? Well, I mean, I've said publicly there's no point doing a fuel efficiency standard unless it moves the dial, unless it works, um, you know, unless it's ambitious. But also, it's got to be achievable. <laughs> this is uh, welcome to the climate change portfolio. Everything is got to be ambitious. But targets are easier set than met. They've also got to be achievable, you know. Um, uh, apropos our discussion about 82, you know, I could say 100% tomorrow if I felt like it, you know, and some people out there in the market, political market, say those sorts of things. But it's my job as the minister then to explain how we're going to get there the moving levers um, about the actual delivery. That's actually my job. Mm. Um, 
Uh, so the fuel efficiency standards are a key point there. Um, we are missing out on supply. It is key for affordability to get more affordable models in. We, we uh, again, I'm pleased that even even this this far we've seen a big increase, a big enough, you know, big issue increase in affordable yeah. models coming mm-hmm. into Australia. But I'd like to see. Well, we've got three cars now under forty thousand dollars. It's not quite yeah. mass market, but it's getting down there. Um, it's a step yeah. forward. It's a good step yeah. forward. And yeah. the com the com car fleet's going going electric. Um, yeah, yes. that's um that's actually that's running well. Um, our commitment for seventy five percent by twenty twenty five purchases is running well. Yeah. Um, and uh, certainly on. Have you got any charges in Parliament House yet? Oh. Uh, we're getting there. Uh, I'm told that they are very they are very close. Um, we're currently still trickle charging those of us who drive EVs in Parliament House, um, or and or uh, driving to nearby charges. Um, but I think it is important that Parliament House has them for a range of reasons, including in the visitors' car park and and elsewhere. And uh, I'm told that that work is now okay. well advanced. Um, we're probably sort of getting towards the end now. So quick run around some of the other topics. Um, offshore wind. Um, mm. I've never seen a sector um, talked about as much by potential developers and potential investors great. as this, which is probably good. Isn't it okay, great? great. So w- w- when, are we get, when are we going to get moving? When are you going to declare that zone and, um, and make those allocations for the... Uh, which zone? Which for, zone? The, which zone for, the Gipsl- for the Gippsland zone. And you've got a whole... That's declared. List- oh, sorry. I'm- Gippsland's declared. It's done. I know that's declared. Sorry. It was my mistake. It's been where I phrased the question. It was um, you are doing the applications to do the feasibility studies. Yeah. So when will they be? So, yeah. so let's run through it. Let's run through it. Gippsland I've declared uh, and is now expressions of interest and those expressions of interest are closed and being obsessed, uh, assessed, I should say, not obsessed, assessed. Um, And uh, I'm confident of having um, that sorted uh, this calendar year. Hunter, when's this? When are we going to air? When's this episode going to air, John? Um, well, it's um, I'd I'd like to get out around this afternoon, but would you like me to hold it for a day if you've got something to announce? (laughs) Well, well, um, uh, let's just say the declaration of the hunter zone is imminent. Okay, Um, we're record we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon, and by the time your listeners are listening to this, regardless of when it goes out, there's a fair chance by then that um, uh, there'll be will have been very good progress on the hunter offshore wind zone, um, i.e., a declaration. Um, obviously, that's been well, I've been consulting on that, and these it's important, Giles. While it's important to get this quick, it is also important to get it right. Communities, you know, when it comes to social license, have views about offshore wind as well. And it's important the consultation be um, real, and certainly uh, I'm determined to do that. And so that consultation that's occurred on Hunter and the others is real, mm. um, and there has been feedback around some areas, well, of, even uh, from the Department of Defence. I understand. Well, um, I made no secret of that. Um, when I when I put the original area out for for consultation, um, there's the Williamtown Air Base there. It's um, there's a lot of fighter jets in and out, and um, we had to take that into account. So there's a there's an area where offshore wind isn't isn't uh, proposed uh, to enable plenty of room for the fighter jets to do their job. Um, but Hunter is imminent. I've begun the process for Southern Ocean, uh, which runs from Port McDonnell uh, down to Warrnambool uh, via most particularly Portland is where most of the interest is. Again, there's some concerns, particularly around Port McDonnell, around the intersection between offshore wind farms and lobster farmers. Um, we'll work those through, but that consultation is currently open until the end of August. So in effect, we've got three out of the six offshore wind zones um, with very active work happening on them and then i'll have more to say about uh, the next one uh in the next uh month or so 
Chris, it's my final sort of question is really about selling the overall um, targets and ambition and the concept of Australia de decarbonising, starting with the 80% uh, in electricity. And, and, you know, it seems to me that the social licence uh, selling starts with the federal government. You know, I see in the voice all the huge amount of politics over an issue which is a social issue but not going to affect the life of my grandkids or your kids in the in, in the way that this is. Do you think that you and, 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 and the Prime Minister are doing enough to sell the need for this? I, I think there's always more to do. I mean, I, I, I do, um, you know, I do a lot of public communications about it. Um, it fills together with the administration and the policy setting, you know. Frankly, I don't, I'm not looking for sympathy, but very long days. Um, that's my job, and I love every minute of it. Um, but there's always more to do. We are still up against, you know, we, we, we are seeking to end the climate wars, but we're up against, uh, you know, um, alt the alt-right. We have an alternative prime minister from the alt-right um, who clearly doesn't understand renewables. Every time Peter Dutton opens his mouth he, about energy, he it shows he doesn't understand renewable energy. He says, oh, batteries only work for an hour. And just There's no better way of explaining that you don't understand how a battery works. You've got Barnaby Joyce wandering around um, still uh, uh, organising anti-renewable protests in Parliament House. You've got David Littleproud whipping up social licence. Now, social licence is a legitimate issue. We need to bring these communities with us. We in policy need to ensure that there is actually genuine community benefit and the com transmission companies need to do that too. There's an obligation on them. But what, we, what shouldn't be happening is people whipping it up for political purposes. That's what they're doing. So that's the constant battle we have um, against an alternative government that doesn't get it uh, and is still trying to, you know, thinks that climate politics worked for them for 10 years and are trying to get back to those glory days. Um, the, op the challenge for us and the opportunity for us is to not only talk about our obligations to future generations, as you correctly said, David, and the rest of the world, and ourselves, but the economic opportunities for our country, we can and will be a renewable energy superpower. It will create hundreds of thousands of jobs. It'll create billions of dollars of investment. We have more sunlight hits our landmass than any other country in the world. We have above average wind. Put them together, we have the best renewable resources in the world. It is inconceivable to me that we wouldn't seize that opportunity for our country, our country that's been in search for comparative advantage for hundreds of years and has now found one. Um, yes, the challenge is big, getting that capital investment through, final investment decisions, social licence, ensuring stability of the grid, ensuring the lights stay on as we do all this, ensuring that we keep our industries like steel and cement uh, and aluminium going as we do it is all a challenge. But it's a challenge we're up for and a challenge that we can and must overcome and win and seize this massive economic opportunity for our country. That is the task, and that is the task I enjoy every minute of every day doing. It seems like it'll take uh, more than one term to do it, which is probably uh, a very good thing. I'm not uh, opposed thing. to that, David. I, uh, you know, um, I intend to be Climate and Energy Minister for a very long time because it will take a long time to bed these down and get this job done. Can, my, my final question, I think, um, well, first of all, just an observation about sort of Dutton's sort of nuclear court. Um, maybe there can be a use for the nuclear submarines as a sort of vehicle to grid opportunities, sort of plug them into Darling uh, thing and make sure there's three-phase power. Hydrogen, um, you've announced a review of the hydrogen plant 
plan. Um, there seems to be very much now a focus on domestic thing. Have we, this sort of this, this export superpower is hydrogen. Has that sort of idea died down? Um, no. No? Um, no. What's, um, what, what's the focus? Or is it really just about sort of focusing on the domestic market and making sure that we've got the incentives that would match and attract that capital that might otherwise be distracted towards the US and Europe? Yeah, pretty much exactly, Giles. I see, I see domestic as important but domestic as the vehicle by which we'll get to the export powerhouse. We're not going to export unless we develop our own domestic industry first. It's as simple as that. So we've got two things going on, as you said. We've got the review of the National Hydrogen Strategy, which is jointly owned by the Commonwealth and the states and territories. So that'll be out either the end of this year or uh, very early next year, uh, and that work is underway. The hydrogen strategy is from 2019. It's while maybe in some senses that wasn't that long ago in hydrogen years that's decades ago it's been moving so fast so that's out of date separately and perhaps at this point more substantively we've got the two billion dollar hydrogen head start program again two billion dollars is not a small amount of money uh in a tight budget uh, i don't mind telling you when you walk into the expenditure review committee like i did and said hi guys i'm here to tell you i need two billion dollars you don't get a standing ovation uh the first time you walk in um, but to my colleagues' great credit, they, uh, you know, the Prime Minister and Treasurer and others uh, saw the need for this very, very clearly. And it is about developing the domestic industry with a view to becoming um, an export power once, once the you know technology and the commerciality and all the all the work has gone into developing that industry. The two billion dollars won't spread far. I'm not anticipating many projects. I'm anticipating a relatively small number of projects through the Hydrogen Head Start projects program to really now basically turn all the talk into reality. I don't need small pilot projects. We know what to do. Time to bloody well get on with well, it. I think that's a really great sentiment to end this podcast with. Um, Chris Bone, thank you very much for joining the Energy Insiders podcast. We do appreciate it um, and um, your time. Um, we'd love to um, ask many more questions, but that's a fantastic um, thing. It's always, it's always a pleasure. I, I listen every week and um, nice to come on every so often. And uh, that was Chris Bowen, the Federal Energy and Climate Minister, or Federal Climate and Energy Minister. Um, that's a wrap for this week on Energy Insiders. Um, bye for now. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Evergen, the market-leading renewable energy software business that optimises residential and commercial solar and battery systems. Evergen enables large numbers of systems to operate as a single fleet, so network operators can use them as a virtual power plant, generating significant value for consumers, network operators and the energy system as a whole. Evergen software is powering the energy system of the future. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Pylon. Pylon provides easy-to-use solid design software for installers and retailers with pay-as-you-go pricing, no monthly cost and no locking contracts. Join Australia's top solar companies who trust Pylon to design high-resolution, CEC-ready solar proposals.